morning, church. <laughs> We're going to get started in worship. Um, if I could just have you guys stand. Uh, I'm going to sing these two songs over us. You know, I think worship, the most important component of worship is, is the heart and the attitude behind um, with which we worship. So this morning, just let's just align our hearts with the words, the lyrics. Um, you can see them on the screen. For those of you joining online, you can follow along um, online. Let's worship. Where 
your presence here in this place. We thank you that as we are here gathered, so are you also with us. And that's the same whether you're here in this building or at home. Your presence is there with us as we come together and worship you as a church, as a family. You are here. God, I pray this morning as Pastor Jared speaks, that you use his words to speak to our hearts and help us to apply these things to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Amen. Thank you, Dusty. Well, thank you for joining us here today, and thank you for joining us online as well. I'm Jared Kirk, and I've got just a couple things to let you know about before we get started in the talk today. Um, we finished up our teaching series called Relationship Status just a little while ago, and now we have tonight an interactive experience for those who want to go deeper. We're doing a one-hour seminar called Navigating Singleness with Faith, and so I'll be on that, and Nicole will be on that as well. Oops. And um, we're going to talk about a bigger purpose for your singleness to help you find joy and peace in the middle of that. And then if you are the kind of single person who hopes to get married someday, as many are, we're going to talk a little bit about what you're looking for in that person that you're going to marry. So stay tuned for that. What you can do is you can text the word single after you check into today's service, and we'll send you the Zoom link and the info on that seminar. If you haven't checked in, there are cards and there's QR codes all over the place. If you're online, you can click the link at the top that says check into today's service. Uh, the other thing is that if you're new or newish to Renewal, we have Next Steps coming up, which is a, a four-week experience that we put together. You don't have to be there for all four weeks, but it's starting next week after the second service right here at the Hilton. We're going to get a ton of free swag. You get your questions answered, get to meet some other new people, and I'd love to just say hi to you there as well through a mask. And um, that is starting next week, so you can text the word NEXT back after you check in, and you'll get some more info on Next Steps. So I hope you join us for that. And in just a second, I'm going to come back. Uh, we have a short video that I'm going to come back. We're going to talk today. We're talking about um, defining success because we're in a series called Work Matters. And it would be a real shame to aim at something for your whole life when, it, when you're thinking about success only to achieve it and then to realize you worked for the wrong purpose all along. So we're going to make sure we get that right. And like I said, I'll come back in just a second. Take a look at this video real quick. So, um, got to unlock it. Now, when I started, I came here seven and a half years ago to start Renewal Church with my wife, Heather, and we had one kid at the time. Jude was like 18 months old. And so we moved here, and it was a lot like starting a business, except harder. Um, and so when we got started, I needed to work another job so that we could help pay the bills. So I, I started working for Uber, which was my side hustle, and I would drive people around. So every night, after the kids would go to bed, I would go out to the car. I would take all the car seats out of the car. I would vacuum, because if you've ever taken the car seats out of a car with little kids, you know how disgusting it is. There's like an entire world of Cheetos and Cheez-Its and everything cheese-related, basically, is in the seats. And so I would vacuum out the seats and then hit the road until like 2 a.m. or whatever just to try to help pay the bills. And while I was out there, I, I had this one really memorable interaction. It was a, a young guy. He was in finance. He was about 28, and it was in Southie. 
And it was memorable, number one, because we had a conversation. Because most people don't want to talk to their Uber drivers. Like, I drove Uber, and when I get into an Uber, I'm like, bro, don't talk to me. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just here to get where I'm going. But this guy wanted to talk. And so um, we start having this conversation. He's like, what do you do, you know, outside of Uber? He kind of picked up, like, maybe this wasn't my main gig. And I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm starting a church. And I, I, I'll always remember what he said because in response, it was just, it was really, it was really clear. He said, um, I guess I envy you in a way. He said, I've made a lot of money doing what I do, but there's no purpose to it. Your job has built-in purpose, and I feel like my life doesn't have that. And that's always stuck with me when I think about that because here's this young man, and he, he according to himself, he's achieved success. But in some ways, he's, gotten, he's achieved success, and in other ways, success has eluded him. You know, in that brief conversation, I think it showed what a lot of us understand about work, is that a lot of people are, and sometimes it's just us, we're not just working for a paycheck. Sometimes we are, and you've got to pay the bills, like we've all been there. But people are also working for status, or success, or um, like a sense of accomplishment and purpose in this world. There, Sometimes we're working to prove ourselves or prove to our stepdad that we're not a failure or prove to our own internal critic that we're a successful person. And, you know, when we're trying to get those kinds of things for our job, we always end up wanting more. Because sure, like, you know, you, you want to you wanna feel like you're a, like an, an important person with status. And, and we would never say it like that, but that's kind of what our, our soul is driving towards. And you get a promotion at work or you get bumped up to manager or whatever it is. And you feel great for a little while. And then a little while later, that same longing comes up in your soul again. And it's like, I just need more of that. Or, you know, money. It, hey, man, no one's ever complained about a race. You know, so it feels good when you get that bump in pain. You get a little bit more money. But then we start spending it. And all of a sudden, it just, like, disappears, right? It goes into, like, some kind of subscription or membership. It's just gone forever. And then you think, man, I, I really need another raise. Or maybe you get recognition at work. You know, that's a big one because when you're in personal relationships, you often don't get the recognition from the other person that your soul craves. And because, you know, when I come home at night, Heather's not like, Jared, it's Wednesday, and I need you to know that you have done an excellent job as a husband and a father. I praise you for the great job you have done. Like, it just, like, that That literally never happens ever in any even normal, healthy relationship. And so we don't get the recognition that our soul craves, but at, at, at work, there's awards, there's good jobs, there's, you know, maybe a bonus or a gift card or just in front of the whole team, and they say, hey, great job, you contributed on that. And so it strokes our ego a little bit, but it also hits this spot in our soul of what we're longing for. But here's the thing. When we ask our job to give our soul something we're supposed to get from our creator, we will always ultimately be unsatisfied. We are asking our jobs to give us things that only God can give us. And it's no wonder that we always want more, we always need to get higher, we always need to go further. And so you can work and work and work and be unhappy your entire life, no matter how much you accomplish, if you're trying to get things from work that only God can give you. And so... What we're going to talk about today is redefining success in a godly way. And this is so important because when you get this right in your life, then, you know, it's not that you're going to just stop achieving or stop trying to grow or stop trying to improve yourself or stop chasing your dreams or stop trying to get a promotion. You're not going to stop doing those things. 
But those things are going to be in their proper place. And when you don't demand that your job justifies your existence, you can actually enjoy your work a little bit instead of struggling through it day after day after day. You know, when you live for, when you live to hear well done from God at work, it sets you free. It sets you free from other people's expectations, from the crushing weight of having work every single day. And so I just believe that there's a better way to work. Now our church exists to develop urban professionals to impact global cities for Christ. Urban professionals and pre-professionals. And I, I think this matters, this work piece matters because you're spending a third of your life at work. And the in, part of the impact that God wants you to have on people's lives is through the work that you do. Whether you're driving Uber on a Sunday night as a side hustle or whether you're in the top floor of the Hancock Tower. You could be serving people at a restaurant but doing it in such a way that you're bringing joy into their life and you're serving with excellence. You could be cutting people's hair in such a way that they feel better about themselves. You could be doing accounting and there is a way, believe it or not, even you accountants, I have good news for you today. There is a way to engage in your job where you hear well done from God at the end of it. And so that's why we're looking in Matthew chapter 25 today, because Jesus told this parable to his disciples. And as we listen into this parable, we start to gain a bigger perspective on our work and how that work and that purpose fits into the other parts of our lives in a healthy way. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read the scripture verse to you, and then we will uh, we'll talk about a few things that we're, I'm going to point out from the text. So let me, let me read it to you. Jesus said this, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settles, settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, as the story goes on, the same thing happens with the man with two bags. He earned two more, and he'll he hear is well done. And then the guy who hid his one bag of gold in the dirt is reprimanded for squandering the investment. Now, a couple things I want to point out to you from this text today. And here's the first one. Success requires staying focused on eternal things. Success requires staying. In fact, turn to your neighbor and tell them. Maybe it's across a six-foot gap. Tell them success requires staying focused on eternal things. Go ahead and tell them. Because if you didn't believe it from me, maybe you'll believe it from them. All right. Now, when Jesus tells this, he's about to enter Jerusalem, and his disciples assume, okay, the kingdom of God Jesus keeps talking about is about to come, and it's going to be a political kingdom. Jesus is going to be the king, and we are going to be in positions of power. But the disciples are making the same mistake that a lot of people in our culture make which is thinking that the kingdom of God is some sort of current political reality. In fact, it's nothing of the sort. Jesus' plan is he's about to go into Jerusalem. He's about to suffer and die on the cross 
so that people's sins can be forgiven, and then he's going to rise from the dead. And it's literally the worst way to start a political movement in all of created history. But it's the best way that's ever been devised to defeat Satan's sin and death. And so Jesus isn't kicking off politics. Jesus is kicking off, kicking off a spiritual kingdom. And he tells this story to explain to them that while G when Jesus departs, the kingdom of God is going to spread, but it's going to spread very quietly like mint growing in the garden or like a pinch of uh, salt that you put into a lump of dough. But when Jesus returns, the kingdom is going to come back dramatically and suddenly. So he tells a series of parables. Parables are um, earthly stories with spiritual meanings. And he tells this to his disciples so that they should understand how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to work when Jesus is absent, when he's not present here physically with us? And it's important for the disciples because there's a lot of rabbit trails they could chase. They could go and get into politics. There were the Zealot Party and the Pharisee Party and the tax collectors were the pro-Roman party. There's Herodians. They could have done those things. All of the disciples left careers and they could have gone back to their careers. But Jesus tells this parable to his disciples to remind them to stay focused on eternal things. To stay focused on eternal things because those are the things that are going to matter in the end. Now, just like the disciples, we too live in this time between when Jesus left and when Jesus comes again. So we live between the opening kickoff and the end of the game. And so for us, every day feels like a battle. You have to scrap, you have to scrape, you have to fight to get ahead for every inch of territory. But God knows how the game is going to end. God has determined how the game is going to end. And so therefore, and this is the really cool part. We are judged not on the outcome of the game, because that's already been decided. We are judged based on how we conduct ourselves in the meantime today. Are we investing what God has entrusted us with? We have to keep that eternal perspective and remember that judgment is coming. And this is one of the reasons why church attendance is so important. Because there are 167 hours during the week when everything is calling your name and it's all about what's happening right now, what's temporal, what you can touch, what you can see, what you can taste. And there is one hour in particular each week where you can hear the still small voice of Jesus calling you and reminding you that eternity is coming. Remember what lasts, Jesus calls to you each and every week. And when you skip church, those temporal things seem very, very close and important, and eternal things seem distant. Now, it is a sacrifice of time to come to church. One of the generational differences that we find between boomers and millennials, for example, is that millennials will point out that they're, they're often working all week. They're working beyond nine to five because jobs are often requiring a lot more than that. And they feel like their weekend is their time to recharge. And so sometimes millennials will put it in these terms, or Generation Z, which they're calling Zoomers, and I'm really hoping that doesn't stick. <laughs> but they're saying uh, it, it feels like a sacrifice to come. And I actually, I really understand that, that way of thinking about it. And I think that makes it even better when you come to church. Because God loves sacrifice. God doesn't want worship that costs you nothing. That's just a religious show. Like, that's what hypocrites do. Like, that's what Pharisees do. When your worship costs you something, then God knows that it's from the heart. And so, um, 
So worship without sacrifice is just a show, but when it costs you something, God loves that. Now listen, when we talk about keeping an eternal perspective, what we're, what we're driving at overall is this idea that one day your life will end. And when it does, you're going to have to stand before the Lord, and he's going to essentially ask you two questions. The first one is this, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? And that's the, that's the eternity question, that's the destiny question, where will you spend eternity? Did you trust him for the forgiveness of your sins against a holy God? But the second question is, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? With the gifts and the skills and the talents that I gave you, what did you do with them? And that question will determine your rewards and your responsibilities in the next life, for eternity. And what will you offer him on those days? On that day, excuse me. Your promotions, your bank account, your followers on social media? No, when you live with eternity in mind, you can make sure that you are successful from an eternal perspective. And that could be a day of joy for you rather than a day of regret. The second thing I want to point out from the text today is that success is hearing well done from God. Jesus' uh, story that he tells, this parable, has shaped a hundred generations, this idea of hearing well done, my good and faithful servant, from God. The story is, success is defined as hearing the approval of the master. Hearing well done from our heavenly father is a sure sign of a life well lived. So, true success is hearing well done from God. Now, what I love about this, this definition of success, is it is radically freeing in your life. Because you're not living to hear well done from your boss. You're not living to hear well done even from your spouse if you're married. You're not living to hear well done from your parents or your children or your coworkers. You are living to hear well done from God. In fact, turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm not living to hear well done from you. Let them know. Go ahead. Josh, that was a little aggressive. All right. You are set free when you live for God's approval. Uh, Paul talked about this in Galatians 1.19. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. In other words, if I'm trying to make other people happy, I can't serve Jesus. You cannot hear well done from God if you spend your entire life trying to hear well done from everyone else. Jesus modeled this definition of success for us, too. Um, there was one time when he was hanging out in Galilee, which is sort of like Worcester. It's not exactly where the action's happening. It's like action adjacent. And his brothers came to him. And we're sort of rebuking him for not being, for being way out in the boonies. And here's what they said. They said to Jesus, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not, not yet here. Jesus' brothers come to him and essentially say, you need to be a public figure. You are not acting the way that famous people act, Jesus. Build your platform. Build your following. How you are acting is not the way that successful people act. But Jesus isn't living for the approval of his brothers or the adoration of the crowds. Or he, and he doesn't live according to anyone else's timeline. He, the, Jesus' focus is radically knowing and doing the will of God. 
and it sets him free from that pressure. Now, Jesus' dedication to do his Father's will didn't make his life easy. It eventually led him to suffer and die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. God, God's will led Jesus into places on purpose that looked like failure so that in the end, God could gain glory for himself and our sins could be forgiven. So Jesus' complete surrender to the will of the Father pleased God perfectly. And in the end, it led to Jesus' glorification. It could be the same way for us. We could live to hear well done from God on that day. Now here's the third thing I want to point out from this parable that Jesus told. Success is not what you have. It's not about what you have, but about what you do with what you have. You are not responsible for what you have. You are responsible for what you do with what you have. So according to this parable, the master, who's a stand-in for God, is the one who apportions the bags of gold. And it may seem random from our perspective, but it's actually ordained by God. So you're not in control of what you're born with. You didn't control the wealth you were born with, the intelligence you were born with, the looks you've got or don't got, the talents you possess, or the genetic potential of your body. God apportions those things. And first of all, this reminds us that what we have is a gift from God to be used for God and his purposes. So we don't need to look at other people and complain that life is unfair. We need to look up to heaven with gratitude for whatever we do have. Whatever we possess, whether a lot or a little, is cause for both gratitude and humility. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? But here's the second thing that I think about is that this parable gives me great hope because I may not be able to achieve what other people have achieved, but I'm not being judged on that. See, I may only be a one bag, one bag of gold kind of guy, but my job is to rock that one bag of gold with everything I've got. Like you don't get to decide whether you were born with five bags of gold or one bag of gold. You're not responsible for that. You are only responsible for what you do with what the Lord has given you. Now, um, now think about that for a second. When you look at other people and they're further down the road than you are, it frees you from thinking, well, I wish God had made me like that. I wish God had made me more organized. Do you guys know how many times I've said that in my life? You know how many times my wife has said that? Like, I wish God had made Jared more organized. You don't have to wish you had someone else's gifts. God made you and put in you everything he wanted you to have with some potential to develop as well. And he just wants you to do the most for his glory and for other people's good that you can possibly do with what he's trusted you with. All of heaven is cheering you on to do excellent with what God has given you. Hebrews 12 talks about this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles <clears throat> and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about is uh, every follower of Jesus who has come before you cheering you on 
to run your race. So don't run someone else's race and, 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 a, and don't judge other people when they're not as far along as you are or maybe they're running with a limp because you don't know what they started with and you don't know what they've been through. Because one day you're, you're going to cross the finish line of your life. And when you do, it will suddenly become really silly how many promotions you had, how many bonuses you got, or how big your platform was online. You talk about things that are going to melt into absurdity on that day where we stand before the Lord. But it will suddenly seem very important whether you loved the people who are closest to you well, whether you cared for the poor, whether you encouraged Jesus' family at church. So whether you've been given a lot or a little, whether you're a five-bagger or a one-bagger, like me. <laughs> Just remember, success is not about what you have, but about what you do with what you have. Now, when you leave here and you go back to work on Monday, you know, we've heard this. We hear about Jesus' parable. Here's what you got to do with it. When you leave here, you need to live for God's well done at work. But I think the question is, what does that mean when a lot of people going to work means uh, leaving on the pajama pants, putting on a dress shirt, and sitting in front of the computer. What does it look like to live for God's well done at work if you're, if you're working from home most of the time? Now, there's some people who are still going into work all the time, and that's, there's just additional challenges to that. And the first thing I want to point out is this, and this is the blindingly obvious, but it's the most important thing. You can't live for God's well done at work if you don't have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're still working to prove yourself, to build up your, your self-identity, if you're still confusing your self-worth and your net worth, if you're still needing to feel accepted or respected or loved or appreciated from your work, you know, those are things that your creator longs to give you for free. And it's important that at some point in your life you come to see that all of that thing, you're, all those things you're doing at work are actually a self-salvation project to distance you from God. And that without God in your life, your work is never going to be in, it's never going to be in its proper perspective in your life. And so there has to come a point in every person's life where you turn away from all of these things that you've been living for that have separated you from your creator. And come to God and say, God, I need you to forgive my sin, my self-centered life, and everything that goes along with that. Forgive me, and I want to live for you. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I want to live for you. Because life without God becomes hell long before you die and have to worry about the real thing. And so if that's you today, at the end of the, at the, end of the talk, I'm going to pray a prayer Asking Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. And maybe God is leading you today to make that prayer your prayer. But once that relationship is in place in your life, then practically how can you live for God's well done at work? And what does that mean when you're in your pajamas all day? Well, here's some things that I want to share with you from the scriptures. There are four, four quick things. They're quick hits. I'm just going to list them out. And the question for you is, which one of these do I need to focus on this week? So living for God's well done at work. Here's the first one. I work with integrity. Integrity is a word from shipbuilding. A ship's hull has integrity if it holds water. And it may look good from far off, but when you get really when you get 
way up close to inspect it are there tiny little cracks that let the water through. That's integrity. The closer I get, the better it looks. Is that true of your work? Working with integrity means I don't cut corners or tell half-truths. My yes is yes and my no is no. So I work with integrity. Living for God's well done at work also means I'm open about my faith. Now, this does not mean opening every meeting with a prayer. You will probably be fired by Friday. This also doesn't mean sneaking John 3.16 into your email signature. Again, good chance you're losing your job by the end of the week. But I do think it's important that if you're a follower of Jesus that your coworkers know that, especially the ones who are closest to you in an appropriate way. Because one of the greatest barriers you know, in a, in a society where Christians are the, the, the drastic minority, one of the things that prevents people from having this life-giving relationship with God is that they can't imagine themselves doing it. Because their only conception of a Christian is a caricature that they've seen on the news or on television. And so <clears throat> when they see your life as a real flesh and blood person, and you're not too weird. Now, like our church is full of weirdos, and I'm the chief weirdo. Like, I get that. But, you know, like the people need to see like normal people following Jesus and the difference that it makes in their life before they ever have any sort of plausibility for that could be me. And so that's very important that my coworkers, that I'm open about my faith, my coworkers know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Here's the third uh, way that I can work for God's well done at work. Uh, number three, I work with diligence. And I picked this one particularly because uh, a lot of our church are working from home. Diligence means I work not just when I can be seen by my boss, but I work all the time. Uh, I work when no one is watching me. I work hard as though God were my boss. Colossians says, work hard as though working for the Lord. That's diligence. And so, you know, not checking out at 3 p.m. and, you know, just cruising on social media or, you know, looking at vacation fantasies for next year. And, oh, look how cheap it is. Airfares is so cheap, you know. Working with diligence means uh, I work like I'm working for the Lord. And number four, the last one, to hear well done from work, to hear well done from God at work, I set specific times to stop working. And I picked this one on purpose, too. There's a rhythm of rest and work in creation that God sets and he gives to people. And I've talked to a lot of people in our church for whom the, the lines between work and home have been blurred. They've been blurred by your job. They've been blurred by your boss. And so, um, and so that rhythm of working and resting has, has stopped. And I think it's important to negotiate that. I'm not saying it's simple. I know that it's not. But I do think it's important to address it and negotiate it. Um, as an example, when I was starting the church, um, and, and I had little kids, and it was still a startup, and I was like the only person working for the church, a lot of times I would work until 5.30, and then stop at 5.30. And I would go have dinner with Heather and my kids, and then I would help put the kids to bed, because they were little, and, and it's a lot of work. And so they went to bed at like 7. And so that was, that hour and a half to two hours was family time. And then as soon as the kids went to bed at 7, 7.30, I would go back to work for several hours later that night. But just that, that fixed place where it was like, this is time for my family where I can stop working, I think helped keep our family healthy in what could have been a really destructive time for us. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do think it's important to set specific times to stop working. All right, so out of those four things, working with integrity, being open about my faith, working with diligence, or setting times to stop, which one do you need to focus on this week? Maybe you need to tell someone you came with or a roommate or someone who's in a group. Or you need to text a friend just for some accountability. 
Now, as we, as we close this message today, I want to remind you, most people in this world, and ourselves included if we're not thoughtful, are working for a bigger paycheck, a higher position, or a larger platform. But most people in this world are also exhausted, prideful, and purposeless. But with God in your life, it does not have to be that way. You can work in such a way that at the end of, end of your life, you hear, well done from the Lord. And that's true whether you're driving for Uber or sitting in the top floor of the Hancock Tower. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? We're going to pray in a moment. And I do want to speak to those of you who, um, who God is drawing you towards a relationship with himself because you know you need a bigger purpose in your life. And you've been working for things that work can't give you. And you're recognizing today that the sin in your life, that radical self-centeredness that's expressed in all sorts of ways has separated you from your holy creator. I want to give you a chance to pray with me now. I'm going to pray, and maybe you need to make this prayer your prayer today. Father, I want to work for you. I want to live for you. But I also know that I can't do that on my own. I'm a sinner, and I need your help. I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin, and I believe that he rose from the dead to give me freedom and hope. I want to live for Jesus. Would you come into my life and rescue me? And I surrender my plans, my hope, my future. I put it in your hands because I believe that your hope and your future for me are better. Teach me to live and work for a bigger purpose, to hear well done from you on the last day of my life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you prayed that prayer today, your next step is to plunge your past and be baptized. And so after you check in, you can text the word baptism back to us, and we'll get you some info on that so you can learn a little bit more. Now, as we close the service today, here we go. Uh, we're going to give together in just a second. You can get ready for that. But I want to remind you about our Navigating Singleness with Faith seminar. You, again, you can text the word single back after you check in. And we'll get you all the details on that. I'll be there. Nicole will be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. As we give together now, uh, just to let you know, giving's, you know, it's always change. Everything changes every six weeks, right? Or maybe every three weeks now. So uh, to give to the church, there's a couple of simple ways to do that. Number one, you can give through the Renewal Church Boston app. That's probably the fastest and easiest way to do it. Um, you can text the word give back after you check in and we have secure giving set up through text to give. And then lastly, we did put a box in the back of the room here for those of you who are here in person where you can just drop an offering in there if you would like to. Um, but the app is usually the fastest, safest, most secure way to give. So um, thank you to those of you who have given. It's been uh, kind of a crazy season for the church, kind of a tough season, but because of your faithfulness, we've been able to meet a lot of needs. Um, and there's a lot of needs out there right now for people who are struggling through quarantine and COVID. Um, and we've also been able to help people find life in Christ and we're able to baptize a couple people last month. And we're just, we're stoked about that and very thankful for those of you who have given uh, to help the church continue to do that work. So thank you. All right, next week, uh, we're gonna continue our series on work. I'm gonna be talking about dealing with stress 
It's 2020. You don't have any stress in your life, do you? And so maybe you have a friend or a neighbor or somebody who, uh, who that would be helpful for. Bring them here if they're healthy or otherwise they can watch online with us. I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, God bless. You guys have a great Sunday. See you next week.